Good morning. As we have been unpacking and talking about the church and a biblical understanding of the church, we, we, I'm going to recover, just do a little bit of review and then move on into the talk. We, when we understand the church, the church is not an organization. The church is not, it's, it's not a system. It's not a program. It's not an event. It's not a show. A biblical understanding of the church is, is it's, a, it's a healthy, inspiring community on a journey together following Jesus, knowing Jesus, growing in Jesus. It's a place where people don't have to be perfect. And, and yet somehow Christ reveals himself to a collective of imperfect people. I mean, we, we, we were all basically a glorious disaster. You know, like we are, there's nothing about us that, that in and of itself has this pure, radiant glory. But, but, but God does that. He, he takes his imperfect people and he puts us together. We, we come together. And when we start serving each other, something beautiful happens. The church is supposed to be a community where, where you're affirmed and encouraged to live courageously. It's, it's a place where, where people speak well of you. It's a place where you get built up instead of beat up. And when the church is working right, it's a powerful healing agent in any culture. Two weeks ago, I, 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 I spoke to you out of Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, the whole chapter is a parable. One parable in three parts. The first part is uh, about, about a, um, a shepherd whose sheep wandered off. The second is about a woman whose silver coin wandered off. And the third one is about a son who wanders off. Tonight, I want to take a little closer look at the, at the son who wandered off. But Jesus is telling these three, this one parable in three parts in response to his critics, his bloggers, the people that, that are just pounding away at him. He, the, the, the people who don't like who he hangs out with or how he hangs out with them. They said he even eats with disreputable sinners. And that's kind of a key phrase because According to the culture of the first century Jewish community, it mattered who you ate with. It's, it's not like Costco where you just grab your hot dog and, and, and your fries and, and you go just sit at any table with anybody just because you can sit. See, in, 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 this, in this culture, you only sat with the people that you were connected to. You sat with your family because you belonged to your family. You sat with your close friends because they belonged to you. And when Jesus is going into the house of tax collectors and thieves and robbers and he prostitutes and, and, and these people and he is eating with them, he is declaring by doing that that these are my peeps. These are my people. They belong to me. I belong to them. And, and, and the religious leaders, so, so, so the, the, the pastors in town, come together and they're pointing at the fact that, you, 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 see, see, 
you're eating with the wrong people. And if you were the Messiah, you would know they're the wrong people. Because if the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he would not eat with that crew. He would eat with us. Because we keep all the rules. And Jesus is responding with, to, with, to, to those criticisms um, with this parable. And I want you to hear what they heard. Because until you understand contextually what they heard when, when he told this story, th then you really don't get a chance to hear what he intended us to hear. I'm going to read the, from verse 11. You know why there's no PowerPoint? Because I didn't do any. Um, and, uh, and Taya, who's been doing my PowerPoints forever, goes to Europe, right? What is that all about? Like... And so I have to figure out how to do them myself. And I just, I'm a slow learner. Verse 11 says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, being the father, divided his property between them, between his brother and the younger one. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And I'm going to focus on that word today, on reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed by the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father. I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let's eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You know this story. You've heard this story. But there are two things that the audience that Jesus was speaking to heard that, that absolutely were shocking, that shocked their system. Two things that they weren't expecting, two things that, were, that, that, uh, that they found repelling. And the first is this, is the actions of this younger son. You, you cannot overestimate the seriousness of what he did. Because when, when this younger son um, is, is, is saying to his father, I, I don't want to wait until you die, die to get my inheritance, he was saying something that is so culturally dishonoring and deplorable that, that his, his audience probably stepped back in horror. Because what he was saying to his father is basically, Dad, I wish you were dead. This is 
outright rejection of his father. And in the first century, if a son were to speak to a Jewish father in this way, that son would be whipped and then booted out of the house, booted out of the inheritance, booted out, rejected completely. But it seems that the father in the story has the ability to see past this, this rejection, this momentary rejection. He, he can see past the, 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 the boy's selfishness to something that everybody else is blind to. And the second thing that is just so repulsive to these, these pastors and priests and spiritual people was the father's response. The fact that the father just said, okay, here you go, and gave him, divided up his kingdom, gave it the, the, the younger, what, what was coming to him, it was, was an act of, of, of complete negligence. Nobody would do that. Any respectable Jewish father would have booted him out of the inheritance in, in a heartbeat. Nobody's going to give a child that is so disrespectful that kind of an inheritance. And then, you know, you, you heard the story. The son takes it. And, 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 and in record time, he wastes a lifetime of savings. And one of the things that I realized here is that when, when um, the, the, the passage here uses the term reckless living, when you read reckless living, you can actually interchange it with selfish living. Because they mean exactly the same thing. To live for yourself is to live recklessly. And, and, and just like the story of this son, you see, you see he, he, he gave himself to selfish living. And when, when you serve only yourself, you live only for yourself, you end up only with yourself. He was alone feeding pigs and nobody's feeding him. Nobody's feeding him. I love that phrase. I will eat if you're feeding them. Take some. But it says that nobody gave him anything. It's because he'd spent this portion of his life taking, 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 not giving anybody, and he ends up being in want, and nobody's given to him because he's alone. Jesus is showing us something here in this picture. He's showing us the essence of sin. And the essence of sin is this. The essence of sin is saying, uh, God, you, you are not my father. It's the rejecting of God as your father. And the second, the second part to that is that you take everything that the father has given you. You take the breath in your lungs, the, the, the blood that is pulsing through your body. You take your capacity, your personality, all of your intelligence. And you say, you know what? I'm using this for me. This is not about you. Selfish, reckless living. It's interesting to me that selfish people often make the mistake of interpreting their own selfishness as strength. I did it my way. I saw what I wanted and I went after it. I got it. I got it. They mistake selfishness for strength. But it takes absolutely no talent. It takes no intelligence, no self-control, no effort to sacrifice others for the sake of your own ego. That takes nothing. It's not strength. Generally speaking, the most miserable people I've ever met in life are people who are obsessed with themselves. 
obsessed with themselves, obsessed with their own pain, obsessed with their, 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 their own um, victimization. I'm sorry your life has been so hard, but do you have to tell everybody about it? People who are obsessed with what they want and what they need, their image. Are there any, you know, I was, I was listening to this TED talk and, and this model got up and she, she just talked about um, beauty. And I mean, she was stunning. She was absolutely stunning. She said, go to the back of any um, fashion show in that back room, you will, you will experience the most self-obsessed people on the planet. No matter how perfect they are, they're not perfect enough. No matter how skinny they are, they're not skinny enough. And that's the thing about self-centeredness. It is like a black hole. No matter how much you give it, it is not enough. No matter how skinny you are, you're not. No matter how rich you are, it's not enough. When it's all about you, it's never enough. Thing I learned about self-centered people is they're absolutely often they're often blind to the beauty in the world around them. They're blind to the beauty of the people around them. Do you know why? Because to them they are the world. And I know we're not talking about you. We're talking about everybody else. And on the other hand, I would suggest to you that the healthiest. The happiest people I've ever known are people that are able to transcend self-interest and who have learned to give, learned the joy of serving others, learned the joy of investing in others, learned the joy of seeing beauty and strength in others. It's exactly what Philippians chapter two, verse three and four says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but to each of you to the interests of others. You see, Jesus came. He, he, he came to set us free. I love this. In, 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 when you think about it, um, I'm looking for the verse. In, in Luke 19, Jesus speaking of himself, he said, he said the son has come, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What did he come to save us from? Is it very possible that he came to save us from ourselves? He came to save us from the reckless living, from selfish living. He came to save us from ourselves, from our own self-centeredness. I think that's entirely possible. Do you have any, you, you, human beings, when you're focused on yourself, have the, an infinite capacity to adjust downward just to get what we want. And our moral, our moral bearings just get compromised and compromised and compromised just to get what you want when it's all about you. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team up only because there's no better place in my sermon to invite them up. I want to tell you two really cool stories to illustrate my point. Um, Dan Clark wrote about an event that happened when he was a teenager that absolutely, one event so inspired him, so shifted him, it, it, it impacted the rest of his life. It took place in the early 70s. 
him and his father were in line to buy tickets to go to the circus. And finally, finally, there was only one family between them and the, and the ticket booth. He said, I, I'd been watching this family for the entire time we were standing in line. He said, they were, they were absolutely amazing. They had eight children, eight. Clearly no drugstore in their community. Uh, they had eight children and no television. You know, and, uh, and uh, they have eight children. And he said, and they were the best behaved kids on the planet. He said, you could tell that they didn't have any, a lot of money because they, they didn't have new clothes by any means, but their clothes were clean. And he said, what, what blew me away is they were standing in twos holding hands, waiting for the circus. And they're chatting and jabbering. But you could tell they'd never been to the circus before. And all they could think about was the, the, the elephants and the clowns and the monkeys and whatever else they would see in, in the circus. They were so excited. And he said, Mom and Dad were at the front, like proud as could be. Every now and then just checking in the rearview mirror to make sure that the kidlets are good. Then dad steps up to the ticket window and he says to the lady, I'd like to buy, I'd like to buy eight children's tickets, two adult tickets, please. And the ticket lady quotes the price and the man's wife drops his hand and he says, excuse me, how much did you say? And she quotes the price and he freezes. How is he supposed to turn around and tell his kids they're not going to the circus because he doesn't have enough money. And Dan Clark was saying that the entire time I was watching the kids, my dad was watching the parents. And without even thinking about it, my dad walks up to the man and, and he pulls a $20 bill out of his pocket and he drops it on the floor right by the man. And then he bends over and he's got the $20. He said, sir, I think this fell out of your pocket. And the man turns to my dad and he said, and he looks at, the, he, he's not begging for a handout. But whoa, does he appreciate this kind gesture in this desperate moment. And he puts his hands over my dad's hands, which is, and the $20 bills in the middle. And he said, and I watched tears run down the man's face when he said, you have no idea what this means to my family. And I, I don't know how I could ever thank you. And Dan Clark said that we got in the truck and we went home because that's all the money we had to go to the circus. And he said, but we didn't go without. He said, we, we had so much joy. He said, he said, all we talked about all the way home was how much those kids are going to love that act and that act and that act. And did you see them, Dad? They were holding hands. Did you see them? They were respectful. Did you see? And Dad said, did you see the man's eyes? It meant... And, and, and their hearts were filled. He said, we went home. He said, but that was the great, that moment changed my life. And that moment is thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what that moment was about. Dan Clark's father ushered heaven to earth with this beautiful, kind, simple gesture. And when he did it, both him and his son touched heaven and experienced heaven. And it shifted him. You 
See, the incredible thing is that in the economy of heaven, that whatever you give, the Bible says, is pressed down, shaken together, and flowing over will give, be given back to you. Pressed down, shake. You, you, you know what? You start becoming a person who, instead of being selfish, becomes selfless, and you start giving and giving. You know something? What's going to, it gets pressed down, shaken and flowing over. And you know something? All of a sudden, you start having more joy, more happy moments than you could ever imagine. More love, more peace, more kindness, because that is the treasure of heaven. In 1927, there was this, uh, in the city of Philadelphia, there's this, like a two-star, maybe if you're being generous, a three-star hotel, okay, 1927, like, did they have glass in 1927? I don't know, but it, it wouldn't have been great, okay, it's not much of a, not much of a hotel, and, and, and the, the night clerk is, is, is there, and this old couple come into the hotel, and it's after midnight. And they're, they're weary. They're bone weary. And the man walks up to the night clerk and he says, please, please tell me, tell me that there is one room in this hotel that we can stay in. We, the hotel we usually stay in has been booked. We have been looking for hotels for the last five hours and because of conventions in town, there are no, tell me please that there's one room in your hotel. And the clerk looks at him and he's, he said, I'm sorry. All of our rooms are booked. I'm sorry. He said, I live in the hotel here. I have a room. He said, I just washed the sheets this morning. He said, how about you and your wife be my guest tonight? Why don't you come and stay? It's not like the rooms you're used to. The room's small, but it's clean. The bed's fresh. Why don't you come and be my guest? He took them up to their room. He said, I'm, I work all night. I won't need that room till mid-morning tomorrow. So we're good. The next morning, the older couple are in the restaurant and they asked the, the, the server to go get the night clerk because they have important business to, 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 to speak with him. It's a true story. The night clerk came and said, did you sleep good? I'm sorry the bed was so small, but I hope you, hope you were comfortable. Blah, 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 blah. And the man sat down and in fairly direct terms, he said, let me, let me just get to it. And the thing that he said actually blew the clerk away. He said, you, you, you're too fine of a hotel clerk to work in a hotel like this. He said, how would you like to be the, the managing? How would you like to be the general manager of the biggest hotel in the world. And the night clerk's thinking, wow, they slept badly. You know, he's out of his mind. The guy's lost his mind in the middle of the night. He said, how would you like to be the general manager of the biggest hotel in the world? It's gonna be built in New York. And the guy goes, well, that would be nice. That'd be quite wonderful. Four years later, actually, let me go. After the clerk said that that, that would be wonderful, the man introduced himself. He said, I'm John Jacob Astor. He said, uh, I'm building a hotel in New York. Four years later, the, the hotel was completed. They built the Waldorf Astoria Hotel 
it was completed. It boasted of more rooms than any hotel in the world and more, better service than any hotel had ever even experienced before. And this night clerk became the best known hotel manager in the entire world. Do you remember when Jesus said, if you give a, a, a cup of water to the least of these, he said, your reward will not be withheld. Do you remember that? Well, he isn't talking about giving drinking water to people specifically. Jesus is talking about sharing ourselves with each other. He's talking about humbly giving pieces of yourselves to others who need encouragement, who need hope, who need help, who need support. And the reward, the reward, well, the reward is that you begin to experience the joy of heaven again and again and again, again and again. And again, and your heart gets a little bit bigger and your heart gets a little more generous and you start giving more and it comes back to you, press down, shake. That's why we should be the happiest people on the planet. I'm not this person all the time. I think I have a generous heart. If I'm really honest, I'm pretty selfish. I get into my agenda and my world. When I was looking at this, I said, Lord, help me live life at a pace where I can actually notice the needs of the people around me. Because the pace that I've chosen for my life has made me selfish. The amount of commitments that I've, I've, I've made makes very little room in my life for others and I'm feeling it in my joy I'm feeling it because my life is marked by stress these days not by joy and I realize that because I don't manage my own life very well I've become reckless I've become selfish and I have been doing a lot of repenting this week because I think I'm doing right when I'm really living recklessly and so maybe you're like me and maybe you live at such a reckless selfish pace that there's really very little room for others and maybe maybe our sin is that we just have chosen a pace that is just so unhealthy that it makes us reckless it makes us selfish and it steals our joy I'm gonna I'm gonna pray this prayer you can join me if you want. Um, and if it doesn't apply to you, then, then that's, well, then God bless you. But Father, I ask you to forgive me for saying yes to so many things. I ask you to forgive me, Father, for looking for my value in all of my doing. Forgive me, Father, for being blind to the needs of the people so close to me. Forgive me for being selfish in this way. Lord, I do repent of it. I sincerely repent. It takes more muscles to say no and to pace down and to gear down and make room than it does to say yes and keep going. And so, Father, I pray for strength and courage to be a people who live 
selflessly, but who live measured lives, lives that, 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 that are stewarded well so that we can make more room for the kingdom of God flowing in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.